James. Hey, Duncan. How are you, dude? I'm well, thanks today, mate. How you been? I'm, I'm well. Do you want to hear something I think is a bit funny? Amused. James has two small children. Um, that so, is pretty know, funny. Four, Who let that um, happen? And, no. And so, I don't know, when you have infants, sleep is not necessarily something you normally get a lot of, um, or you could be quite interrupted. I, Duncan, am a single 35-year-old male who has his own apartment and his own bed. Last night, James got seven and a half hours of uninterrupted sleep. Duncan got three and a half. What's going on here? <laughs> well, if you look at the, the data, I'm pretty sure if you go beyond a single night uh, and <laughs> yeah. extend the average out to the last few months, I'm sure it'll yeah. revert back to the mean. <laughs> yeah, um, so it was just a sort of thing I thought was a bit funny. Um, I, I like sleep. Um, sleep is the best. <laughs> I love sleep. Uh, I feel no. like a dog wandering the desert and has just come across a little oasis and it's just like <laughs> bathing in the euphoria of having a good night's sleep. It was it was beautiful. <laughs> cool. Um, so today we're talking about the big part five personality traits model. Mm. Um, so those traits are openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. Um so this model is supposedly the one which it has the most statistical relevance. So all models are just approximations of reality. It's not like it's perfect. But this one is supposedly the best approximation of reality of the ones that they've tried. And so, yeah, we're going to talk about this and hopefully learn about ourselves. Yeah. Well, I, I, what I thought... Sorry, go on. Go on. <laughs> I was just going to say what I thought... Uh, I was interested that you didn't use your traditional quote of all models are wrong and some are helpful. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so this was something that did get my interest uh, quite a bit. So sorry, Duncan, I'll let you continue and we can talk through it. Yeah. So I think uh, James and I are both quite looking forward to discussing this five personality trait model. And I was looking at this and I'm like, five years ago, would I have been looking forward to this? I'm like, hell no. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Try 15-year-old Duncan. Like, could there have been a worse topic? And then I was thinking, well, what kind of personalities like looking forward to talking about personalities. And so basically, have we typecast ourselves on this very badly? Mm. 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 First of all, just to make you feel good about yourself, 15-year-old Duncan was 20 years ago. Uh, I know. <laughs> so good. I, I like getting older, but it's fun. Well, all right. So I first, first thought I'd talk about, we'd go through the definitions of these things. And then I thought, well, after that, you would say what you think I am. And then I would say what I think I am. And then you would say what you think you are. And then mm. I would say what you think you are. Mm. So the first one is openness. So low score, high score. <clears throat> low score openness means you're practical, conventional, prefers routine. High score thinks curious, wide range of interests, independent. So what do you think I am, James? Low, I, medium, high. I don't think... High? I don't think oh, no, no, no. I don't think there's any prizes for this. But I would rate you at the low. Ooh. So I would say that I'm both. It's <laughs> the biggest <laughs> cop out ever. So I'll give you an example. You got to, During the week... Sorry, go on. I was going to suggest that um, we can talk about breaking the model after we go through it. But if you, were, if you had to use this for its intended purpose, and its intended purpose is to score yourself low or high, what would you score yourself, Duncan? <laughs> Well, I'll try to explain. I, I honestly think I'm both. And let me get to this. Like Monday to Friday, I work and I try to do minimal social interactions. I have extreme routine. I go to bed at exactly the same time. I get up exactly the same time. I go to the gym. I know exactly what I'm doing at the gym. I know all the meals I'm eating. I know what I'm wearing. So there's all this stuff. And a big part of this is so that I can then 
make as few decisions in that part of life, i.e. maximum practical, maximum routine, so that then inside of work, I can deal with the broadest range of interests possible and be as curious as possible. So the practical conventional wrapper around the edges enables the inside of huge curiosity and a huge range of interests. So that's sort of what I think there. You know, mm. do you think that's fair or do you think that's just total me not not fair? All right. Well, first of all, um, why I don't think it's fair is because I think if you're like myself who has some fundamental um, misgivings with models like these, that <laughs> almost anyone could justify that they're both. You can. Okay. Uh, and uh, another thing is I would argue that when I look at all of the conventions that score low and all of the conventions that score high, I can see myself as all of them. <laughs> and so what this kind of comes back to is what they call the Fora effect. Um, so the Fora effect is something very popular in astrology whereby individuals give high accuracy rating to descriptions of their personality that are supposedly tailored specifically to them, but they're in fact quite vague and general enough to apply to a wide range of people. Mm. Okay, well, maybe this, like, I honestly feel that <clears throat> sometimes I'm curious. Mm. So I, my curiosity has changed. When I was younger, it was curious to meet people. I didn't really know that many things that were interested in, in about the world, and now I'm curious to learn new ideas. Mm. So my Lexus of where I was spending my time being curious has shifted from people mainly to things or ideas, I should mm. say. Mm. And so I think I've always been curious, but the curiosity like part of me used to be fed through meeting new people. Mm. And now it's fed through new ideas, you know, things, building stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I think what would be helpful, Duncan, is to use a different model that, um, that you shared with me that I um, was exposed to first which is it's not about how smart you are. It's about how are you smart? Yeah. And I think it can apply here. Um, if you, you look at so openness, low is practical and regimented. High is curious and like open and dynamic. Mm. And it's, I would say it's not about how open are you to say whether you're low or high. It's how are you open? How are you curious? How are you practical? And I think this might actually serve a higher purpose because the purpose of this model wide <laughs> interpretation is to understand yourself better or understand other people better. And I think it might serve a better purpose if you, instead of trying to get low and high scores, just say, well, I'm a practical and curious person. The way I'm practical and curious is this, like you explained earlier. Okay. Well, if you, if you got, I can talk through my thoughts or, or maybe I'll talk through quickly uh, about myself and then you might talk about how you're curious as an example and, and how you're practical in other places um so for me um i think i said this i think i've always had some level of curiosity but i think i'm way more curious than i used to be and this is because when i was 20 i didn't have enough things i was curious about i get bored i didn't have enough time whereas now i have a massive surplus of things i want to learn about and so basically relaxing used to be easy because there was no nothing calling me to stop relaxing. Whereas now relaxing is hard because I'll be sitting there and I'll be like, oh, but that's so interesting. I really want to learn about it. And given that it's typically about things as opposed to people and we have the internet and, you know, a computer, I can learn about them whenever. So that's the curious side. I'll, I'll pause there. So, yeah, I think one of the really powerful, um, I guess, 
a really compelling way of looking at this is just like putting this on a time scale and and like acknowledging how you have actually changed over time so for example the, mm. like the one you gave is curious right mm. I, I can I can remember like when I was much younger in my childhood uh, I had you know a much more vivid imagination um, as one is prone to when they're young uh, but I would I was really curious about things like you know superheroes I was really curious about things <laughs> yeah and so I read lots of comic books um, and all of those kind of things but then when I got to my very young adulthood, I was very curious about the way the world worked. I, I remember wanting to figure out what a bank does. Like, I didn't know what a bank does. You figured it out? Like, <laughs> it's pretty I, complex. I, yeah, well, no, no, it's complex when you get into the details, but when you get to the fundamentals of it, a bank gives out money and then you just repay that back with interest. Like, that is a fundamental business model, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I was so disappointed. <laughs> I thought it was really complicated. Um, <laughs> but like, and that's all it is. So um, my curiosity went to try went from being in the, the supernatural or like under, like uh, exploring what is um, you know fantasy to being curious about the real world. Mm. And now I'm moving more into that I'm very curious about the internal world, the brain, mm. how the mind works. Mm. Mm like it yeah I, I suppose we're saying we've changed over time and, and this is one of the things which i was going to talk about this you know are you born with these traits in your low or high and can you not change mm. i think there's some nature there's some nurture um but all else equal you know you don't everyone doesn't start the same but if you want to change who you are you can no one's saying it's going to be easy but you can sort of shift on these things and if you decide you want to you know cultivate something then you can um so i thought i'd talk quickly about the other side routine <clears throat> when i was I grow up, I know you go to school and you have, you know, whatever else it is. So you kind of have a lot of routine naturally built into your life. But I wasn't sort of, I don't know, particularly liking routine. Whereas now I have five days a week of, of epic routine, like 100% the same every week. <laughs> One day a week where the plan is no plan. Oh, so, so serendipity. So there is no routine. It's like do whatever, just total random. But also you're not the one directing the plan. You're like, this, you're catching up with someone and just go where the wind blows. And then one day a week where the plan is do nothing. Um, so that's relaxing. So I suppose I try to use routine where I think it's good, but I don't want to have 100% of thin, things routinized. Is that a word? That's going into the, the, the Jamlish and Dunklish dictionary, right, uh, right, right, right. right alongside copulation. Oh, no. Or copulism, sorry. Um, <laughs> um yeah, what so, about you on routine, dude? Well, I, I just want to point out the irony in that is in even when you say that you have a day where routine goes out the window and whatever come uh, be what come what may, that's still part of your routine. It's like I am having this day, I am planning for this day to have no plan. It's still part. Of, <laughs> it's still part of Duncan's regimented. Uh, okay, that's a good point. <laughs> so yeah, it's planned. It's planned having planned serendipity, which yeah. is kind of like an oxymoron. <laughs> yeah, it's pla yeah. planned unplannedness. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, so but that like there's elements to that that try to play at the utility of having a routine. So yeah. so for example, I am 
quite regimented, not maybe not as fastidious as you are, Duncan, in uh, you know having my morning start when uh, girl one or girl two wakes up, which is nine times out of ten before me. As uh, in James's children. Perhaps consider using different words. When daughter one or daughter two wakes daughter up. Daughter one or girl daughter one two. Or girl two. <laughs> can be read in uh, perhaps a, a way that was unintended. <laughs> um, so and so my morning is I spend the morning with them. Um, my my partner wakes up and goes for her walk. And by the time is she that comes, girl three? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Bobby, my Sorry. beautiful little puppy, can be girl four. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, um, there's, there's always a favourite. If you don't know who the favourite is, you're not the favourite. <laughs> well, no, there's a pe- yeah. there's a pecking order. Excuse the pun. <laughs> Your name's Peck, by the way, so that's yeah. pretty good. Your surname. Yeah, yeah. So there's a pecking order for the pecks. Yeah. yeah so, so I always call myself four IC. You know, you have the traditional two IC. Um, yeah. I'm four IC, force in in charge. So um, okay. at, at least I get one over the dog. So I'm. I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm playing the long game here. Uh, yep. But yeah, so I have a routine and it's important to have routine for my children as well because it creates yep. that stability and that certainty so that within that world of uh, certainty, you can then feel free to explore. You can then feel free mm-hmm. to open up to more creative endeavors. Does that make sense? Totally. Um no, I agree. I actually like where we're taking this. I think we should move on to the second trait, which is conscientiousness or conscientiousness. God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, so, so, okay. Low is impulsive, careless, disorganized, and high is hardworking, dependable, organized. Mm. So I'm going to rate you because you rated me last time, and then I'm going to see what you think. I think you're like three quarters high. Okay. Like hardworking, dependable, organized. Um, so not like 100% that, but like pretty far up there. Mm. Okay. What do you think you are? All right. I would have been probably a little bit harsher on myself. I probably would have put mm-hmm. myself in the bottom half, so in the mm-hmm. whatnot, um, simply because, and this might be because of my inner critic, I mm-hmm. always want to see myself as more hardworking. I always want to be more dependable, and I, I would really appreciate if I could be more organized. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I can't have the perspective or where hard working yeah um, um, I think that you could perhaps be more organized yeah <laughs> exactly and that's yeah. another thing where you know conscientiousness kind of um, doesn't fall apart but it's just like well you can be hard working but not organized right you, yeah. could, you could be running around doing a million things but if you're not yeah. focused on doing the right things first and working towards a, a you know a goal then you're, yeah. you're very disorganized um, and so that, and that's kind of where you can, um, you know, prop yourself up to account for those yep. weaknesses. What do you think I am, James? I'd say I'd say you're a hard ten on hardworking, <laughs> dependable, organized. Like as evidenced by your last example, like everything yeah. in your life. <laughs> Not planned only it's it like, like, it like exactly amount of time and exactly how unplanned is this unplanned plan, yeah. you know, plan, plan, plan. I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, I'm trying to be as unplanned as possible. 100% unplanned. But let's, I'm planned how unplanned I am. Let's, let's make this very clear. Your yeah. future is down to the minute in your diary. If I'm not, yeah, that's true. Your path is entirely captured in data form. So yeah. now you have this, like this entirely structured 
uh, viewpoint of past, present, future, and like looking mm. at the data at the past, organizing mm. the future. So and like and that takes a lot of work as well. So um, yeah. yeah, so like if there was a spectrum, you'd you'd be in the ninety nine percentile. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, one question I had is, is it, it feels like one end is good for this one, like high-scored, hard-working, dependable, organized. One end is bad, impulsive, careless, disorganized. So I thought maybe flip it. What is good about being impulsive, careless, and disorganized? Mm. Maybe I'm just reading the words this way. I think you want to care carefully. And that means that you can care in a bad way where you, you, know, you get unnecessarily worried and, and you do all these things. But you need to be carefree sometimes. So I think it's like an optimal point of caring. Mm. Um, where, you know, you care, but you're not going to let it get to you too much. You know, you don't want to like have yourself breaking down or stressing out, you know, unnecessarily. And I think that frankly, I wasn't good at being careless, i.e. not caring. Or mm. ca I cared too much and I, I carried it around with me. So five years ago, I was very, very bad at switching off from work. Um, and I think that might be the dark side of this dependable. Well, if you're dependable, you mm. never forget about it you, and, and you can't let it go. And so I, I think done badly and I'm, I'm pretty good at doing things badly um mm. you know there is a there is a win to carelessness yeah yeah so i i think careless dependable spectrum is a really good one to um to mm. dissect here simply because i am very careless <laughs> <laughs> and let me let me explain to you what that means so my interpretation of careless james doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> no james doesn't give that, that, that's the end of the sentence. Like, I don't yeah. think. Um, yeah. So uh, to give you a really good example is that when it's nighttime and it's time for daughter number two to go to sleep, <laughs> it's lights out. And at that time, it, it bodes really well that no noise is made in the house and no lights shine themselves into the bedroom window where the baby's trying to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. Yet on numerous occasions, like this, I'm not making this up. Mm. Like, so we have a flat, a floodlight out the front that turns on automatically when there's movement. I will let the dog out the front so that she can go <laughs> do her business, which turns on the floodlight. And time after time again, a leaf will come out and say, sort of like, James, what are you doing? Letting Bobby out, turns the light on, wakes up the baby. And I'm like, oh, duh, duh, I did it again. And I, mm. I, it's literally this repetitive, like, I'm... And so, like, you know, uh, another one of your um, model, Duncan, which is to, to learn, systemize, and reciprise or whatnot. So I'm trying to put in systems. Reciprise, systemize, live better lives. Yeah. Come on. Well, I'm <laughs> so, so I guess going back to this point is mm. dependability is not about how dependable you are in having control over your environment. Dependability to me is <clears> how much can someone else say, yes, I can rely on James not to do something silly repeatedly mm. so that mm. I know that I can do what I need to do kind of thing. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's a different interpretation. I was trying to find the most positive, like what's the most steel man interpretation of, mm. I don't know, what I saw as people sort of looking at some of these things. I think... Um, They've got one as impulsiveness versus hard working. Um, and maybe you could put that as impulsiveness versus organized as well. Mm. I think that there's two kinds of problems. One, where you know the destination and the path to the destination. So you already know what you need to get to. Another one is where you don't know the destination or the path to the destination. And so in that case, you need to know that you don't know. And you need to be constantly willing to change your destination and path to destination. And I find that some people are really good at operating in one space. I know exactly what I need to do. I know exactly, and then they just hard work and they get that. And others, 
you don't know, but they don't aren't able to change the way that they operate mm. for that separate type of problem where you don't know where the destination is and you don't know what the path of the destination is. Mm. So I think impulsiveness is kind of basically changing when you need to change in some respects because mm. it, being organized and always following the plan, well, what if the plan's wrong? And I, I see so many people following a plan that doesn't make sense. Mm. Like planning not to have a plan? plans are essential Um, planning is essential plans are useless which means you need to plan where you're going but there's no plan survives first contact Mm. and that's true if you don't know where you're going uh, if you don't know what the destination is and the path to the destination but if you do know what the destination or path is then the plan's pretty good stick to the plan (laughs) (laughs) well I don't necessarily see impulsive as the low end of the spectrum versus hard working Uh, to be honest and and the reason why like um, the, the best example that comes to mind is like, you know, the Steve Jobs and Wozniak duality, right? Wozniak. 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 <laughs> Whatever. <act. Sorry>. So, <laughs> so, so um, he was the other co-founder of Apple, Steve right? Jobs and Steve Wozniak. Yeah. And I would definitely say in the beginning, um, there was light. There was light. Uh, and then on day two, there were the two Steves. <laughs> Adam and Steve <laughs> hanging out in the Garden of Eden, eating apples, just having a great time. Oh, look, yeah. apple! They t- and apple, and then they yeah, that's really good, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we intended that. That was definitely forethought. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that All was, my jokes are by accident. That, honestly, that was well planned, Duncan. Well planned. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in the beginning, uh, Steve Jobs was, I would um, argue, was quite impulsive because he was very idealistic he had a very very you know lots of different visions and he had a lot of um i guess um gravitas around what it was that he wanted to create but he didn't have the very considered and methodical approach to uh you know engineering and building uh software that wasniak had and so it's not like well, if you're low, then you need to try and figure out how to get yourself to a high score. It's like, well, if you're a low score, how can that be used as a strength? Like, how are you impulsive? All right, well, this way, so I might need to surround myself or partner myself with someone who can account for that. Yeah, I agree. Um, you, you know, obviously have people that not just are good at what they do, but also augment you or, or, or you know, help you. you know, the one plus one is three. Um, Given we're like halfway through, we've done two of the five, which is <laughs> <Just> typical. <laughs> Let's go on to the next one, extroversion. Um, so uh, I'm assuming most people know this, but high is outgoing, warm, seeks adventure. Low is quiet, reserved, withdrawn. Mm. Um, so I'm going to guess you, James. Look, it's interesting. I, I would say when you were younger, when we were both 18, you were like high on the extroversion, but I would now say you're high on the introversion. Mm. So you've shifted a lot. like, um, And it's not just that you've got a family, which is basically every single hour that you could possibly take up. It's that you're like, not this like, oh, I, I, you know, I feel like I have to spend this time. It's like, nah, you're like, cool. I, I want to spend it this way. I don't want to you know, hang out with people or whatever, or not people, you know, or meet new people. <laughs> so, so, that's fair. You went from high to low. Yeah, I think that would be fair. Um, I would definitely, but like to, to extend it out even further, I would say that I was an introvert in my childhood as well. Uh, I mm-hmm. was very shy. Um, and there were a number of different, uh, I guess, metrics to that. I would also argue, Duncan, that you were quite the introvert when you were very young as well. You, you certainly blossomed into the uh, <laughs> into the uh, gregarious peacock that was Duncan at eighteen. 
Yeah. Uh, but I would also um, observe that you pulled that back a bit as well now. Like, at the moment, you would consider yourself very time poor. Yeah. Um, one thing I was going to add to this is just energy. Like, mm. If I'm tired... I really don't want to speak to people. I'm pretty sure that speaking to me is not going to be someone else's idea of a good time either. (laughs) Um, But if I've got like energy, then I sort of do. And so um, I remember my sister saying extroverts get energy from people and introverts um, take energy and lose energy from speaking to people. And I was like, nah, good people give me energy and bad people take energy from me. Mm. It's not about, you know, people in general. But I think the next layer on that is like, well, what mood am I in? And sometimes I am cooked. At which point I just want to like, I don't know, lie down in a quiet, calm, you know, dark place. <laughs> so, so I think, yeah, I think I look at it differently. The curiosity when I had like an excess curiosity versus ability to satiate it when I was 18. And a lot of that got chewed up into meeting new people. And that came and showed itself as extroversion. Mm. Whereas now I, my, you know, curiosity is chewed up in ideas and speaking to people I know about with interesting things or building businesses. Mm. So I would say that, Meeting new people, you know, et cetera, is, is lower on the agenda. Um, but I don't think I'm quiet, reserved, and withdrawn. But I don't want to really meet new people. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I'm uh, uh, sort of, I don't know. Yeah. So yeah. Let me, let me kind of, um, uh, I guess, address your initial <laughs> quote that your sister gave you, which I've heard as well. Um, yeah. Though meeting good people give you energy, bad people drain your energy. No, no, meeting you know, extroverts get energy from people. No, 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 but your response to that. Oh, yeah, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, cool. So I, I would argue that that is a further breakdown of an extrovert. Um, so to try and put it a different way, if you were neutral, not like completely drained, which is where you say I need to go into my little hidey hole, but if you were neutral, <laughs> what activity can you imagine would feed your... Um, your bucket or feed, you know, feel, feed your, um, your energy level. And generally, someone could say, I would much rather do something like sit on the comfy couch and read a good book. Or someone would say, I want to go um, to a barbecue with my mates. And it's, a, it's that kind of, uh, I guess, um, that choice that an introvert would make versus an extrovert. Does that make sense? I think it does, but I look at it from my lens. Like, I definitely want to do some socializing a week. Mm. But I'm, like, talking, like, two to five hours. Yeah. Right? And then beyond that, so it's not like I don't want to go to a barbecue. I just don't want to go to two barbecues. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I I, I don't want to, you know, not read a book, but I don't want to read a book all weekend, all day, Mm. every day, Mm. you know? And so one of the things I say, every hour should be energizing. But there's a, like a, a sort of curve. So after a while, the, the energy goes down, down, down more and more and more. Mm. So a barbecue starts off energizing. I'm enjoying it. You know, three hours in neutral, five hours in negative, you know, seven hours in very negative, you know, time to pull the ripcord, you know. And so I think you kind of need to listen to your body mm. and see what is giving you energy and what isn't. Mm. Um, and at least for me, you know, some things, you know, each hour gets worse. Yeah. But other times, some things each hour gets better because you're like, oh my God, I've learned this new thing. It's fucking awesome. You know, blah, 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 blah. And you just kind of like, <laughs> uh, end up like, I don't know, there's times where I'm like so excited about something that I'm doing that I'm just like literally like bouncing off the walls. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, and so again, like, it helps for me to say, well, how are you an introvert and how are you, um, you know, an extrovert? And like personally, but first of the, firstly, a lot of people can confuse introversion with being shy. I, I'm definitely not shy. 
I am not afraid to voice my opinions or to walk up to a stranger and say hello at a at an event or um, at a anything like that. But for me, I would much prefer to be you know at home uh, with my family and enjoying each other's company. But at the same time, like you said, Duncan, like you know, if, if there is an event on, I'm like, all right, let's let's make the most of this. Let's have fun. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think this is this whole extroversion. Like, if you like someone, you catch up with them, you have a good time. Mm. If you don't like someone, you catch up with them, you have a bad time. You could do the exact same things. You mm. speak about the same things. You do the same things. And one is like the most energizing, best time ever. And the other, like, oh my God, that was the pits. Yeah. And so, so often it's just like how you interact with different people. Yeah. And so I remember thinking, like, am I looking forward to this chat with James about the five personality traits? And does that make me some weird personality? I'm like, yeah, yeah. But I'm like, well, do I look forward to every podcast chat with James? I'm like, yeah. So, you know, hold up. Can we talk about anything? I'm like, maybe. <laughs> so is it that I just like James yeah. or, you know, or whatever else it is. So, so I don't really know. Yeah. But, but there's a dark side to that because you might like someone and therefore you enjoy catching up with them. But if you catch mm. up with them or spend too much time with that someone, it can definitely go from diminishing returns to the negative. Uh, case in point, Duncan, when you were gracious enough to let me stay at your house when I first moved to Sydney, I think yeah. it's fair to say that at the end of that six week, we were like, okay, we need to take a break. Like, this is just... Yeah, James was living on the floor in my room for part of this, right? Like, So we were working, but we were, we were spending a lot more time than we had spent, shall we say, since we were like single digit humans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so maybe let's move on to the next one, hey? Agreeableness. Mm. Um, so helpful, trusting, empathetic is high, and low is critical, uncooperative, and suspicious. Mm. It sounds like one of those ones where like, oh, yeah, there's a good one, there's a bad one. <laughs> so who's the last time? Did I'm going to guess about you, because I think you guessed about me last. Is yeah. that right? Um, uh, well, I think we guessed each other, so you can go first by all means. All right. Um, look, James is helpful, trusting, and empathetic, but sometimes he's helpful by being critical, Sometimes he's empathetic by being uncooperative and sometimes he's trusting by being suspicious of what I say and being like, dude, you're talking porcupines there. Well, so maybe you just, you put those things in place. <laughs> all else equal, obviously I like James in case that's not clear. Yeah. <laughs> well, like you get a low score, Duncan, because that was not helpful. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, and yeah, to, to your point, I can see where, you know, the, the two polar ends can actually not be... Polar yeah. opposites, right? Mm. Uh, I would definitely see you as more of a low score, critical, uncooperative, suspicious. <laughs> but I know that <laughs> I, I also know that, like your, you know, your mission for your work and by extension your life is to be helpful. Uh, you value people's uh, ability to trust you. Your ability to be empathetic is a somewhat wanting, I would have to admit, but you've been no, working think, on it. I think I have gotten a lot better at you this. Have, I'm not you saying, have. Yeah, so it's interesting. Like, yeah, um, you can basically learn from your own experiences and you can learn from others. Hmm. And so part of your ability to empathize is to be able to understand what someone else is going through. So if hmm. you've never been through that, you're not going to be very good at understanding it. And so I think that I had very, very good parents and so that I had a, a very low experience set of, of things that weren't good. <laughs> um, so that was like the way they were bad is because they were so good. <laughs> and then what you can do is you can read stuff. So my favorite book recently is a book by A.B. Facey called A Fortunate Life, which is a, his sort of biography. And it's like a working class Australian 
what happened to this person, uh, you know, in late 1800s, early 1900s is frankly unbelievable. Like, it's just opening up your eyes. And, and another thing, so I don't know, you can basically build everything in places. So I don't know, most of you probably work. If you want to learn more about how other people think at work, listen to Dear HBR, um, which is basically where they get letters from people and they talk through. And then you get to spend, you know, half an hour in the shoes of somebody else. And then it just means that when you speak to others, you all of a sudden got this new like schema or new mm. pattern in your head that you can apply to what they're doing. Mm. So then you listen to all hundred of those and then you've got a hundred new schemas. You're like, whoa. And so, yeah. <laughs> It's it's really 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 cool. Yeah, and, and, and I would also like to me, critical, uncooperative, suspicious are three very different things. Like kind of what you said earlier, Duncan. James is helpful because he can be critical. Like yes, <laughs> I think critical when done right is very helpful. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I'm a, I'm a staunch believer <laughs> in the battle of ideas is the best way to get the best possible outcome. And in order for you to be able to do that, you must be critical of your own ideas as well as those of others. Mm. If you do that in an empathetic way, you will then uh, you know, remove the potential for it to become political. Um, and I guess suspicious can kind of be the, 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 the preemptor for your tendency to be critical because you're suspicious of everything I, I i would i would say curious rather than suspicious suspicious you know we're use curious above we can't reuse that stuff <laughs> well there you go like suspicious to me is kind of like a negative connotation on curious because you don't quite trust something but it might just be that you don't quite understand something yeah um so what I thought I'd talk about, I don't know if people have heard of this, is Aristotle's golden mean. Have you heard of this, James? Mm. It's the idea that there's like a balance of things that is good. So, for instance, one is deficit balance excess. So the middle is good. So it's, the go it's, a, it's a happy balance, a happy medium. So cowardice bad, courage good, rashness bad. Whereas this is kind of like one end to another, but there's kind of like a middle balance, which is good. Another one is stinginess, generosity, extravagance. Sloth, ambition, greed. So humility bad, modesty good, pride bad, secrecy bad, honesty good, loquality. I've never heard that word, but like, yeah, you loqualis loser, <laughs> <laughs> moroseness, good humor, absurdity. Um, so quarrelsome, friendship, flattery. So I really like this idea that some things there's a happy balance in the middle. Some things there is a more definitive, well, this is the good end and this is the bad end. And so, yeah, you've got to mm. figure out, well, I've overcooked it in some areas. Yeah. So a quick example is that sometimes at work you say, look, this person's a, you're being a bit quiet. You need to like, you know, be a bit more confident in your views. And then they go from being quiet to like overstepping it and like putting things out there. I'm like, no, no, you've also got to realize there's a happy medium mm. where you need to get to or the golden mean. Yeah. Um, I, I guess, you know, first, let's acknowledge all models are wrong. Some are helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I would probably uh, have some misgivings about that simply for me to suggest that there is an a, like you know a dial in which you have a single uh, like trait that if you turn up too high it becomes bad if you're too low it's bad if it's in the I middle. think it's for some things it was saying for some things I think some yeah, of them it's but like to, right and wrong other ones is a happy medium but to take example it was something friendship flattery the 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 uh, it's not like too much friendship turns into flattery if if that if that makes any kind of sense it's, well, it's quarrelsomeness. Quarrelsome French, you know. And I think, I think if, 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 if anybody you know. knows you and I well enough, 
quarrelsome is the foundation yeah. of our friendship. <laughs> no. um, yeah. But it's the nature, it's the intent underneath the engagement of that mm. kind of communication. If your intent is to flatter someone, it's because you want something. You you just mm. you might want them to like you, or you mm. want them. You want to you know you want something from them. Quarrelsome is because you don't care enough about that other person. So what I'm trying to get at is rather than it be this kind of low, medium, high, is what is the underlying nature that is giving you... Like I see these as symptoms, not causes. Uh, and one could be, where is your, where do you put your value set? And it could be quarrelsome is like entirely me, like I'm egotistical, versus flattery or something else, which is I value other people's opinions more. And there's a healthy balance where there's like, well, I value myself, but I also see that the you know, the greater good thing in the engagements and connections I make. Hmm. One thing I think you sort of mentioned before was critical and how critical can be done well. And so I think we sort of talked about this. Like, so you can do critical, which is positive sum, critical, which is zero sum, and critical, which is negative sum. Hmm. They say you don't learn things from people who agree with you. But if you disagree with someone in a negative sum fashion, I call that a debate, and you're like there to prove them wrong. And, and at the end of it, they don't feel like they've learned anything. They just feel like you're a dickhead. Yeah. And they don't have thought about your side of the argument at all. So that's negative sum. Zero sum, so debate, is discussion. And at the end of it, you're kind of like, yeah, I've sort of learned some things, but also like I didn't really enjoy that and the energy was draining. And then there's positive sum, which I think is discourse. And so this debate, discussion, discourse. Um, the, one of the key things is I think you need to leave others enough room to be able to change their mind gracefully. Um, and that includes yourself. So when you're talking about something, you want to say something in a gentle, you know, provoking thought fashion. And th- but you're still being critical. But you're not like, hey, you're wrong, idiot. You know, that's not that's not going to like get a good outcome. And so I think most of these things can probably be done in a you know positive sum, zero sum, or negative sum way. Mm. And yeah, learning how to like, okay, I think something you might have not thought of, James, is this. And I think if you think about that there, that might mean that part of how you conceive this changes. And you're like, that's a really good point, Duncan. I hadn't thought mm, about that bit. Mm, mm. You know, and so really trying to put things in a critical, positive some way is difficult. Um, but I think done well, it means yeah. it's really, really good. Yeah, I, I agree. And it, it, it kind of goes back to help if you explore the underlying motivations, like the, the examples you gave with a debate. The motivation is to win or for you to be right. Like, I don't care how I get there. I'll use any kind of, uh, you know, argumentative technique that um, is available to me versus um, discourse, I think it was, where the motivation is to find the right idea and to allow for, you know, a very, you know, whether it's contentious or whether it's just a disagreeable discussion but in a respectful way so that every single idea can be you know, dissected, explored, and allowed to push through if it turns out to be the most superior one. Mm. I thought I'd talk about one more of the words here, uncooperative. So mm. how can you do uncooperative in a positive some way? Dissent. So dissent mention... is patriotic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's your right to you know, dissent if you don't agree. So, or not right, your obligation, people would say. And if you want to read a really interesting book about civil disobedience, um, Nelson Mandela's biography came out in like 92. I think it's called The Long March or something. I'm so sorry. Is is an incredible, you know, because I think that they... Long Road to Freedom, I think. Long Road to Freedom. Um, Go from like just, you know, a a public, you know, um, peaceful protest 
but they weren't, you know, it was falling on deaf ears. And then they kind of ratcheted up one level, one level, one level, one level. And so, you know, as they say, one person's freedom fighter is another person's terrorist. Um, and I think that what they did is a really, really deliberate way of slowly one level up, one level up, make sure that it's, this is sort of, you know, we, we could have done it less. But yeah, they were working against people that weren't going to bend. <laughs> um, so yeah, how do you do um, uncooperative in a positive some way? Mm. Well, I think that Mandela did that and read that book. But um, I won't mention names. At a company that I worked at in the past, there was a central office and we sort of, they said, so some things that were central office driven and they were asking us to do things and we would push back and say, we don't think it's a good idea, we don't think it should happen or the timeframes aren't good. And then they would be like, dissent noted, we're doing it anyway. <laughs> and I think it was like the third time this had happened. Um, the boss was like, okay, look, they're clearly not listening to us. And every time that we just do what they say, then they're just going to keep thinking they can do what they want and they're not going to listen. So we're going to strategically fail, i.e. strategically not do this. And I'm going to wear all the blame. So if there's any you know, blame that gets done here, I'll wear it. So none of you are going to get in trouble. And so we were being uncooperative, but in a planned strategic fashion. And we were trying to teach or to, to explain why what we thought didn't make sense. And we tried other routes, such as saying why well, we don't do it. And then not, that was falling on deaf ears. I was like, okay, what's one level up? We're going to actually strategically fail here. Mm. Well, I, I think that's um, a really good example. I've, got, I, I've come up with my own principle recently. Um, and it's similar to in that fashion where I say it's completely okay or we encourage you to have a, um, an, a, a disparate view or to disagree. But what's not okay is for you to not act on that, for you to just hold it to yourself because that, that, cause that can lead to passive aggression. And that can lead to things failing because you don't know why things fail. So what I'm trying to get at here is that I actually want to encourage people to be uncooperative in a way that allows for whatever reason they have to be uncooperative to come through so that we can address them. Does that make sense? Yeah, so in a positive some fashion. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Yeah. totally. Um, I think um, if, if it's something you don't agree with, uh, I'd say you should say everything but you're not going to be able to get past this. So they say, don't sweat the small things and everything's a small thing. It's a wonderful book if you haven't read it. Um, and okay, well, should I bring up every single thing? And it's like, I don't think you should. Some things, you know, basically, is, therefore everything is as important as everything else. It's just simply not the case. So for me, some things I don't like, but I'm like, is this going to, you know, worry me and I'm going to carry it around all day, every day? Yeah, okay, better say something about it. No, all right, next. <laughs> so, so I think what people don't do is think about bringing up things at all. So, all else equal, I think people typically under bring up things. Yeah. Um, but then, if you're going to bring up something, my sort of rubric is: well, is this something that you're not going to be able to let go? You're not going to get past. And sometimes you just need to talk about it openly, have a bit of a complaint, and then once you've talked it out loud, you're like, ah, oh, now I can let it go. <laughs> so yeah. So yeah. So um, just quickly, uncooperative done well is when you dissent to an idea because you believe in something that will make that better. Whereas uncooperative done poorly is something where you simply want it to fail or you don't care yeah. enough to do something about it. So yeah. Yeah, so mutually positive sum dissenting is where you're saying something that's good for you and the other people need to hear it. Yeah. And they hear it in a way where they take action on what you've said to them. Yeah. 
positive dissenting in a bad way is where at the end of it you're more angry and the other person is like who is this idiot and what are they saying this stuff for i'm not listening to anything they're saying yeah. so yeah. i think how you bring it up is really important yeah. so it's like helpfully uncooperative yeah, is it, probably what you should call it <laughs> and like you know and so i love that sort of juxtaposition yeah, yeah. i would say it's helpfully uncooperative and i thought that you need to be thoughtfully disagreeable i would yeah. say it's the difference between sabotage and dissent yeah, that's nice. I like that. Helpfully uncooperative is um, dissent. You know, uh, unhelpfully uncooperative is sabotage. There we go. We've got to trademark yes. that. <laughs> <laughs> trademark Duncan and James. <laughs> um, all right, cool. We're, let's get on to the last one. Neuroticism. Mm. Okay. Um, anxious, unhappy, prone to negative emotions. That's the high. <laughs> Low one is calm, even-tempered, secure. Well, what do you think I am, Dan? <laughs> Look, Duncan, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I would probably, and like, so as a neutral setting, you would probably be in the upper quarter, upper upper half. Which, Anxious, unhappy, and prone to negative emotions. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I can. Why? Well, okay. So, I think some of that stuff. Yeah. yeah. But not all of it. So the first one is, I would say, Duncan, that you are definitely someone who could be considered as irritable. Because- oh, yeah, you can. <laughs> <laughs> but only what if me being irritated makes me happy? What if it, it gives me energy? Oh, like the, the classic Ren and Stimpy uh, philosophy. Like I love being angry. Uh, <laughs> well, angry is nothing, but like I think frustration done well is a symbol that you need to change something. Right. Frustration done badly is you don't do anything about it, and you let that frustration go from a small to a medium to a large. Yeah. Okay. Are there things that I am not cool with? So they say. The reasonable person adapts the world themselves to the world. The unreasonable person adapts the world to themselves. Therefore, all progress relies on the unreasonable person. Yeah. There are some things which I am not okay with. <laughs> I am going to change. And this means I get irritated by it. Yeah. But I think done well, it's a good thing. Yeah. Okay. Done badly, it's a bad thing. Just like uncooperative done badly. Yeah. So hopefully th- uncooperative. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I should say hopefully uh, irritable. Yeah. Or, you know. <laughs> Perpetually dissenting. Yeah. But um, I would say irritably happy. Happy, <laughs> irritably happy. Uh, that, that's an ir- or happily irritable. I would say happily irritable. Happily. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm happily irritable, but so, three quarters of the time, and but, I'm real irate the other quarter. <laughs> but let, but let's you know, let's give um, a really tangible example here. Like you value your time, oh, yeah. immensely. Don't mess with my time. If somebody messes with Duncan's time. They're going to feel the wrath of his happily irritable uh, emotions. That <laughs> is the wrong word. I'm going to let you know that I think time is very important, and that I think unnecessary wasting of it is, you know, they say that time is the only non-renewable resource, therefore right. the most important resource. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, but but my point to this is not about what the value placed on time; it's how you react to someone wasting your time. I would not mm. say you were calm, even tempered, and secure in those moments. You are you know, to a point frustrated and irritated and not happy with that person. <laughs> Would that be fair? Mm. Yeah, but I, I, I definitely think that's true. I, I try to be in a productive fashion. Oh, you I try. I claim to be all the time. Um, but I think all else equal, um, I am more productive than I am, uh, you know, I don't know, reductive uh, with, with others around. Um, and I think caring deeply about things, and I care deeply about work as an example, mm means that you're going to, you know, be annoyed if something's not going well. Mm. And so I think, you know, you can't hurt or be, um, I don't know, irate about something you don't care about. Um, 
And so for me, yeah, I want to make a difference. I want to work with good people. I want people to try to grow me. I want to try to grow people. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we need to have times we laugh and times we're happy and all those other things. But we also need to just not be totally frivolous. Mm. Um, and yeah, so there's this weird balance, the yeah. golden mean, if you like. Ooh. But, like, you know, to, to a degree, this is about how can you do anxious well? How can you be prone to a negative emotion well if, when you do it in a constructive way? All right, Duncan, mm. your turn. What do you think? Where do you put me? Interesting. Yeah, I think um, you're more up the calm, even tempered, secure end. I, I'm, I would say yeah. three quarters up there, basically. Yeah, I, I would definitely um, feel very, very secure in the bottom end of the spectrum uh, in, <laughs> in, in this place. Uh, I think um, one of, I would say, my temperament is to remain calm in very, uh, I guess, uh, stressful situations. Pickle, cool, pickle. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> don't, uh, don't, 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 <laughs> Okay, be cool, everybody, relax. <laughs> Nobody needs to know what's going on here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but, um, but that doesn't mean that it makes me any better than someone who could, for example, do anxious well. Like there are people, there are times I would say where being calm is not the right approach. There are times, yeah, there are times when having an even temperament or feeling secure doesn't help. And it's about having a very, uh, I guess, nuanced understanding of how you need to approach a certain situation. Now, granted, you know, whether you're in a position of leadership and you are running a team, it can be very helpful to remain calm even in very stressful situations because they will look to you for guidance. They will look to you for, okay, so if they're worried, I should be worried. Um, but at the same time, like you said, Duncan, there are times when you need to rally the truth. We're on a burning platform and if we don't get our act together, then this thing's going to burn itself to the ground. And so you do have to kind of rally up this kind of fervor to get people going, so to speak. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, once I, I look at calm from a different direction, so sometimes calm is that you're dampening energy and the opposite might be you're uh, you know, energizing or you're, you're putting energy in. Mm. And so I think sometimes you want to inspire people. And so I would say that calm and inspiration aren't necessarily the same things. You're like, let's get excited about this. And so sometimes getting stressed is one version of energy that's, you know, you know oh, let's attenuate that. Another one's like, we should be excited about this. We don't just be like, oh yeah. Cool. You know, you, you want to actually be excited about this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Like, um, they're definitely calmed down bad where this sort of apathy, um, to, mm. you know, towards whatever it is that people are wanting to engage with. And, like, I see... I like that. I see that so a calm lot. Calm bad yeah. is apathy and calm good is excited. Or, or so inspired. Not, not calm good. So not calm good is excited yeah, or inspired. And calm bad is apathy. Mm. And uh, for, for me, apathy is something I think is quite one of the most destructive things, uh, particularly in workplaces, because if there's ever something that you want to achieve beyond the core of what people are tasked with doing, you know, like you know, people have a very, um, uh, I guess you can have a, a deep-seated mindset of like, this is what I'm here to do. I'm going to do this. And so that I, that's how I can deliver value. But if you're not looking beyond that, then it's just that um, you find yourself faced with um, apathetic individuals, if that makes sense. Mm. 
Mm. All right, James, we've got to sort of do a wrap on this. So I'll give you a second to think of a summary, but I'll give you something first. One of my favorite words is like apoplectic, which means <laughs> you're like, like out of control, over enraged, right? And apoplectic seems to be kind of close to apathetic. I know there's quite a lot different, but maybe you're apathetically apoplectic. <laughs> <laughs> that would that would definitely be passive aggression right there. Yeah. Um, okay, so summary time for me. Look, I've really enjoyed talking about this, and it's gone in a different direction than what I was sort of thinking at the beginning. Um, and I think what we sort of ended up is like, how do you do calm well? How do you do calm bad? How do you do anxious well? How do you do anxious bad? Mm. And the, uh, the, the discussion has been instructive for me in learning to sort of think about this. Like, I really like helpfully uncooperative. That's beautiful. Mm. You know, like energizingly irritable, I think is, is like a nice thing. It's, and so for me, um, more than anything, I think you can do, you know, anything almost badly. Mm. Um, and I think I kind of think, I don't know, even though this is supposedly the most statistically relevant traits, I honestly think I'm all of the things on both sides at different points in any week. Mm. And I think that sometimes you want to be one side, high score, and sometimes you want to be low score. Yeah. And you've got to try to figure it out. Like sometimes you do need to calm things down. But sometimes you're like, everyone, this is not cool. This is a, we're on a burning platform. Mm. You know, we need to like, get off this thing. Yep. Like no one sitting around being apathetic is good. And so for me, I think, yeah, I, you know, James and I know each other relatively well. <laughs> and I, I don't think that any of his characterization of me are unfair. But I do think that there's good and bad of each yeah. end. Uh, and I think I'm probably exhibit both good and bad of every end every <laughs> week. <laughs> um, okay, so... All models are wrong, some are helpful. And uh, this is not unique in the sense that there are plenty of other kind of personality tests or traits or frameworks. Uh, Things like the Meyer Briggs, things like Carl Jung's initial uh, hypothesis on... Not Carl Jung? No, no, not Carl Jung. That guy can, uh, you know, (laughs) drift off into the night. Um, (laughs) But when you're looking at these models, I think it also helps in understanding how they are helpful. And so in this mm. particular regard, rather than looking at do I fit on one end of the spectrum or the other, is well, how do I fit on one end of the spectrum and the other? And then investigating further into those, we can kind of be like, well, do I do this well or do I do it poorly? Do I do, uh, you know, am I applying my curiosity in a productive and constructive way? Or do I just simply sit back on my chair and just go away with the fairies? For example, um, I, and I think it's fair to say that everybody has curiosity part of their um, makeup. Everybody, you know, has a little bit of a cr- critical nature as well as a trusting and empathetic um, level. So, um, you know, as we were going through these, we it, we found it to be far more valuable to think about, well, how am I this? How am I that? Um, and to then, you know, look at this in a particular way, we can use this as as with all of these models to better understand ourselves. Like, just articulating this with you now, Duncan, has helped me better understand parts of myself, simply because it has called it out of the grey, fuzzy, wetware of my brain and made me, you know, call attention to it. So I think it's really helpful for anybody to look at this kind of framework and go, huh, I've never thought of myself as being practical. Am I practical in any certain way? Yes. Is it a good way or bad? So it's something that I've really enjoyed talking with you today. I'd like to echo your sentiment, completely unexpected, the direction it went in. But that's how you get uh, obtained synthesis. So, yay. Yay. 
All right, everyone. Um, we will see you at some point in the future when James and I can manage to sit down again <laughs> together. I um, uh, hope you enjoyed. If you have any feedback, email us. Bye-bye. Bye.